Unfolding the eternal excellences, the hidden insights of the truth and the depth of the riches of wisdom and knowledge. The Bible says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have not pointed to your weaknesses. He says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have pointed to your strength. And this is your strength, that I am Christ in you, the hope of glory. The glory of freedom, the glimpses into eternity. The gospel is not supposed to be an assumption. It's not supposed to be just a mere presupposition. Truth is older than language, but the word of God is way deeper than any human language. And now, Apostle Grace with the word. A story is given in the Gospel of St. Luke, the fifth chapter. If you'll open with me. And we're going to begin with the first verse. The Bible says it came to pass that as the people pressed upon him, who was that? Jesus to hear the word of God. He stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two ships standing by the lake. The fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets. And he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, and prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land. He sat down and taught the people out of the ship. Now when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, Launch out into the deep, and let down your nets for a draught. Simon answering said unto him, Master, we have told all the night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word we will let down the net. And when they had finished doing this, they enclosed in a great multitude of fishes, and their net break. They beckoned unto their partners, which were in the other ship, that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both the ships so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at his knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man. For he was astonished and all that were with him at the draught of the fishes which they had taken. And so was James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon. Jesus said unto Simon, Fear not, for henceforth you shall catch men. And when they had brought their ships to the land, they forsook all and followed Jesus. Before I go deep into what I want to teach tonight, many people ask themselves, how did the disciples live after they left fishing? And I'm not going to tell you how they lived. This portion of scripture tells us why they left fishing. These men were fishing the whole night and they caught nothing. And this man borrows a sheep or a boat, sits on it and teaches. And off that boat instructs them to launch out in the deep. And when they go to that deep, they tell him, but we've tried to do this the whole night and we couldn't get anything. And he told them, you go. They launch out into the deep and catch many fishes. Their nets broke and the boat started to sink because of the abundance of the fish. Now put yourself in the shoes of a fisherman who tried to fish the whole night and has lived all their lives at sea. They understand the tides. They understand the light. They understand the seasons. They know when it has failed to work. They've been there for all their years and perhaps it's been generations upon generations passing down skill and experience 
Newsmen know if that night you cannot catch anything, you will not catch anything. And that very, 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 very time, this Jesus sends them out and tells them, go and launch into the deep. And they catch more fish than their boats were able to take. Tell me why you'd not follow that man. Praise the Lord. Tell me why you'd not follow that man. So many of us who have served God for so many years, we can attest to this. Nobody, nobody, nobody employs like that God. Praise the Lord Jesus. Nobody pays like the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Hallelujah. Nothing, nothing can pay. But that's not what I wanted to uh, preach about today. I felt I would lay some emphasis for somebody because it will open your eyes in some of the things I'm going to speak today. What I wanted to emphasize on was in the fourth verse, a very deep conversation or allegory, if you might call it, launch out into the deep and let down your nets. Why do I call this an allegory? Because on the face value, on the look of things, many people look at the miracle that Jesus did, but they don't see the inner instruction that comes through the eyes of revelation in as far as what God requires of the church, generally speaking, from us to learn to launch into the deep things of God. So in this allegory, like it was the instruction to the men which had failed to catch fish, and this man's instruction to them, Jesus, is launch to the deep, and they catch more fish than their boats would hold, it would also imply in the world uh, that I'm speaking in right now that God also instructs you and I to learn the purpose, the instruction, the wisdom of launching in the deep things of God. Somebody shout, Amen. We're dealing with a generation, unfortunately, and I'm saying this from an apostolic office, that lives very shallow. They see things from the perspective of a shallow end. They build life, build ministry, function only from the shallow ends. Unfortunately, many of us, because we function on the surface of things, we're not able to get or connect to God's best. I always emphasize this thing called God's best, and you always hear that in someone. It's not just a cliche. God wills the best for you. God wills the perfect for you. And now if you are coming from a history of having come to Christ because of the problems that you had in your family, in your business, in your body, you, you were sickly, you had been fired from your job and somebody brought you to fellowship, you uh, had a problem in your marriage and somebody recommended that you come to church, you were going through you know, a circumstance that was unbearable, and then you chose the option of coming to fellowship, which was a wise thing. Many a time when God sees us through those problems, we stay on the surface. We still seek out the shallow, and many of us don't really take time to launch in the deeper things of God. And today I want to take some time to help us understand the importance of connecting to the deep things of God 
that generically speaking every man would agree and say oh it's important but how important and why important how important and why important there's a portion of scripture in proverbs chapter 1 the 20th verse that caught me many years ago as I was studying it and proverbs says wisdom crieth without and she uttereth her voice in the streets a vision comes to my spirit when i was reading that proverb and i could see how desperate heaven was how desperate god was how desperate the spirit of christ is crying out for men uttering her voice on the streets because she's seeking for any man who is available to hear that line alone showed me that god has been more desperate to get to us by his wisdom than we have been desperate to get to him by the same at the time he cries out by the time wisdom cries out you have people who say oh i read the bible but i don't understand it oh i try to study the word but it is hard for me to demystify i try to connect dots but i i, I can't understand and then they ask those who understand the bible say how do you study this how do you understand this you know it's a very conflicting world for them because they don't see how you can get into this thing and understand it but in as far as they seem to be hungry for that level god has said by the proverbs actually wisdom every day is crying out and uttereth her voice in the streets the spirit of god is literally crying with pain and groanings to connect a man to the revelation of god to the deep things of the spirit verses 21 she crieth out in the chief place of the concourse in the openings of the gates in the city she uttereth her words now i want you to understand when talking about the concourse and the opening of the gates we're not talking about only physical gates we're talking about spiritual gates that if you have spaces to access in the spirit realm we call them gates Bible says wisdom is on the gates of access. She lies awaiting for any man who wants to access something because she doesn't want this man to only access the things God's hand can give, but she wants this man to connect to her in person as wisdom. Do you know what it means for somebody to go to God and say, um, I want to access the gate of wealth. And then you, you know, start to plant patterns and position yourself spiritually. and align yourself in prayer to connect to a certain gate and indeed God can reveal those patterns of wealth but the bible says but wisdom is on the gate of those patterns and the wisdom on the gate of those patterns is not just the wisdom to make you wealthy but to introduce you to wisdom as a person in the revelation of Jesus Christ in the city she uttered have words saying how long you simple ones will you love simplicity and the scorners delight in their scorning and the fools hate knowledge saying how long will you love to stay shallow how long will you love to stay simple when i'm still crying out to reach out to you it's not possible that there is a man who is hungry for wisdom than wisdom is seeking or pursuing that man it's not possible for a man to thirst for wisdom 
more than wisdom is available or has availed itself to that man except like the Bible says we ask and receive not because we ask amiss why because many a time when we start asking what is in the conviction of our hearts is really lust lust that which will inflict the lust of the eyes the lust of the flesh and the pride of life the Bible says these things proceed not from the father we are hungry to see only to see that's for our eyes to see and i've seen people's eyes are lusting that was the reason why eve was tempted and adam when the serpent tells them god does know that the day you eat of this fruit your eyes shall be opened and you shall be like god knowing both good and evil and adam and eve are lusted against the commandment of god not to eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil unfortunately many people today are lust to see things that they carry no purpose for you know when we were younger i think some of you know this they came in the room and they said who wants ice cream me 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 you see whether you're full whether it's not good for you the fact that they said who wants ice cream the feeling of missing out that ice cream causes you to alast for what you might not even need some of you the time you ask for those ice creams you did not have any teeth anymore they had already darkened because you've been eating sweets for years whether it was healthy or not for you you wanted the next pleasure because as a child you were driven and controlled strongly by that lust for sugar you understand so when we talk about the lust of the eyes i have seen people who go before the altar to ask god to show them things of whose purpose and responsibility they will not carry and i warn you believers very sternly never ask to see things for which purpose and responsibility you're not willing to carry because if you don't understand the wisdom behind why god reveals the things he reveals it means that one day in your pursuit you could end up knocking on another door and accessing what the bible calls forbidden wisdoms what we call forbidden wisdoms there are wisdoms that are forbidden because they were not for man to know they were not for man to scrutinize they were not for man to examine and the bible has quite a number for example many times you've had the conversation of the day of the lord and they come to jesus christ they ask him when shall these things be I want to know what that day will be like when do you think it will be and as much as many have taken in account over the years to predict which day jesus will return i think human history has revealed to us that none has been accurate this far none has been spot on this far i see men of god trying to you know break into such places yet jesus himself in his own wisdom said that it is not for you to know it is not for you to know so if it is not for you to know i don't care whether you fast whether you pray it is not for us to know the day of the coming of our lord you could probably if you're so close you could probably predict the season but it was never for you to know the day 
He said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own power. You see, we know that we're in the last days. Okay, we can discern that far concerning seasons. But we cannot know that day. It is in the power of God. That one is his. And instead of investing time to seek other things in God, you can invest time seeking on the end times trying to connect dots. But no man in history has been right on that. That's forbidden. It's not for you. Invest more time then in connecting to the wisdom that is functionally applicable for you while you're still on the earth to do what you must do to the glory of God and fulfill the purpose for which God has called you and revealed these things for you. Are you following what I'm saying? And then we have what they call the lust of the flesh where we pursue things in God and I saw it when I was growing up. I saw people who were pursuing God for the lust of the flesh. This I must emphasize. They saw an anointed man. They saw the jet they traveled in. They saw the suits that they wore. They saw the shoes on their feet. And they said, I want to be like that man of God. And every time this man would see to tarry, they go on the same feet and band on midnight, all seeking God, but only to connect to what is upon the man, but without understanding the responsibility and the price within. In truth, I have seen many who even in that pursuit and lust connected to the gifts operating on those men, but the gifts did not progress them beyond what gifts do. They only create room. And the Bible says that your gift shall create room. It shall bring you before great men. That's what the gift will do. It can only bring you before great men, but it won't give you the language to speak to them. Are you following what I'm saying? It cannot minister beyond its own innate potential. Gifts don't teach wisdom. They vindicate the spirit, but they don't teach wisdom. Praise the Lord. Wisdom has her own way of teaching and revealing things to us. So I saw people when we were younger, especially our young team, boys that we grew up with back in the days, these guys would do anything. And I've already said this, that lasting men look like hungry men. The difference is that they are lasting for the flesh and the hungrier for purpose. They can all fast. They can all pray. They can all sow seeds. They can all do the same things. I remember one time we had a group of boys and night and day they were praying for three things only. Only three. They were praying for the anointing. They were praying for open doors. And they were praying for money. Because the kingdom has to be funded. Their ministries have to be funded. And night and day, every time around these people, it was open doors. It was the anointing. And it was money. And because the anointing that pursues gifts comes upon that is so easily transferable and many of them connected to the anointing are you following me because the anointing upon i've shared once can even go through this handkerchief and be transferred on another man so they tarry longer and connect to the anointing and when they connected to the anointing because of the anointing some doors opened and some of those doors did not open because they required what god had placed by design on these men for purpose. But because there are doors that will open when they find the anointing. Even before they weigh the wisdom in the man, they will open the door because of the anointing upon the man. 
So because those doors opened on them because of the anointing upon the man, it was confused for the justifications of the wisdom within the man. And so the man gets into that door or on that altar and ministers according to the gift given, which then opened that door. But when they started ministering, they could not measure up with the wisdom to sustain them in the doors they opened. Am I too philosophical? Let me give you a simpler example for you to understand this. Simpler example. Imagine a boxer. A guy who is well built. Because you know also that build has its advantages. The arm is long. The fellow is tall. He's a heavyweight. Everything on him seems right. And then he goes in a gym and starts training. And then somebody sees how heavy his punch is. And then they give him a shot to fight somebody. And then they get into that ring. And probably that day, they don't have enough skill. But they get a lucky punch. And because it is so strong, it can throw down any man if they were just fighting somebody who is static. That day was a lucky punch and then it lands on somebody's jaw. And this person is down. People are screaming. And then they go for the next bout. And then again, a lucky shot comes through. Because it's a gift. People say, this fellow is good. And then one day, they stand on such a stage. Whose strength they have, but whose skill they don't. And then they find probably a slightly smaller man than they are. This man is a skilled fellow. He's trained. His body is not only conditioned, but he understands. He looks through, like I've seen some fighters before they go into a fight. They study other fighters, the fighter they're going to fight to see how they fight, which is the strongest arm. What are the, you know, tricks they use when they're fighting their opponents? By what side do they stand when they're about to throw this? And so he studies this person and then they get into the ring. And they expect that the same thing they've been doing with the lucky punches is going to work this time. Then as they come into the ring, they swing that strong punch. This skilled man dodges it. And bam! They knock the fellow down. And then the disappointment of the world. How? How could they beat this guy? The man is strong. Out of anger, he asks for a rematch. One time I was reading the memoirs of this famous Mike Tyson. Then he said something that I find true if you've watched boxing for a couple of years. Mike Tyson said, everybody has a plan until they punch you in the mouth. You get the plan, eh? So he's saying, you come with your skill and a person punches you in the mouth and then that instinct, that human animal wild instinct kicks in. You forget that there is skill, you know. And then you come wholesale because you're what? You're angry. But the fellow who punched you in the mouth is still composed in his head. He still kept the skill this far. And sometimes that's why certain people win. Why? Because they have the grit to keep their composure, even under the worst, to stay under the instructions of the coach. You understand? He's bleeding. But when he sits down in the round, they tell him this is what you're supposed to do. He comes back to obey the instruction that was given him. And they tell you the best fighters in the world are the fighters who know how best to follow the instructions of their coaches, as far as I know. 
in that world. Now, why did I give this kind of story? That a fellow looked so strong that on a certain stage he could not stand because it required more than strength. It needed a certain skill. Back to the people I was trying to tell you. So, because they are lasted for the anointing, the anointed opened certain doors and it brings a certain wealth because you can pray for somebody and they do things for you. You can prophesy in the life of a person and they give big. You can do something by gift and then people recognize the presence of God on your life and they say, what do you want? And they give it to you. So the money came, the anointing was upon them, but the wisdom that should follow or be followed, let me say, by the anointing they carry would not equate. And many of them over the years have either shipwrecked or some have dried brooks or some their stars have dimmed. They are still functional by the gifting because the giftings and callings of God are without repentance. But they never broke beyond certain places in the spirit realm. They never broke out like they expected to have broken out one day. Why? Because there are places, even with whatever you could access through lust, God, by his judgment, will not allow you to access if you're not truly hungry. Especially for the things that touch his purpose, his assignment, or his mandate. So, you have a bunch of people who seek the deep things of God because of that feeling of missing out what could be available. It's just the feeling of missing out. But when they get it, it will not be of any price to them. It will be like your casting pearl. Jesus called it casting pearl to swine because they don't understand it. That excitement of having or accessing the things of God. They're just pursuing it only for that or some for the lust of the flesh to be praised, to be elevated in life to be elevated in society, to be regarded a certain way. So that they lay certain corner carpets and people come in saying, you know, because that's all they, some just pursue to that far. Some just pursue to that far. All the pride of life. The pride of life. They want to be big. So you ask this man, what do you want to be? I want to be big like this person. I also want to be big like this person. But you want to be big like this woman, do you know the price and mandate on her life? And many of the time, the people they want to be like, they cannot pay the price for. They can't pay that price for. Because by design, they were only attracted by the lust in their heart. And they desired what was on that man and that woman. Not necessarily the heart of God for that thing. Anyway, back to what I was trying to tell us here. In Proverbs, he tells us, How long will you simple ones love simplicity? How long will you stay shallow in the things of God? How long will they read for you the Bible when God has also given you the grace to study it and understand it? How long will you depend on prayer partners? You know, we have people. They make a lot of money and then they get people who don't have jobs and make them prayer partners. You know that kind of thing. I say, oh, Alice, not real names, is my prayer partner. And usually the one who prays most is the more broke one. You see what I'm saying? Or 
They are reconciled by common challenges. She has a problem with her husband and this one also has a problem with her husband. So they meet over lunch and say, oh, my husband disturbs me. And this one says, oh, my husband as well takes me through hell. You know, eh? we need to meet and pray for our husbands. You understand what I'm saying? So they were reconciled by common what? Challenges. Common trouble. They were brought together because they had similar problems. And then they became prayer what? Partners. Then you have another person who is a prayer partner with another one because they are naturally lazy to pray. And they have a person who is a fixated to pray, not even fixated on prayer because they really love to pray, but because some even have a problem here. Their life of prayer is not governed by the leading of the Spirit, but it is governed by some sort of confusion that came out of some funny doctrine they learned years ago that has no bearing with the things of God. And the problem with such people is that the day you open their eyes to the liberty they have in Christ, that they should not pray according to the doctrine that was taught them, it is going to be hard for them to continue a life of prayer. Because in the liberty that they've received, they had never learned discipline. The discipline of praying according to truth. Like I'll give you an example. Some people have grown up in the churches where they tell them, if you don't pray, demons will strangle you. If you don't pray, your grandfather's demon will come for you at night. If you don't pray, hey, they'll be casting out a devil out there. And then it will come slowly and find you somewhere in the back. And then it will strangle you. So when they start rebuking demons, go! And then you hear people screaming. You start pro bo 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 pro bo 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 Translating, bypass me, bypass me, don't touch me. I came to pray, I didn't come to entertain you, you know. So why are they praying? They're praying out of wrong teaching. You see what I'm saying? Someone told if you don't pray a certain way, eh, you'll not go through this. So prayer for them is not an intimate relationship with God. Every time they enter prayer, they're entering into a war zone. No wonder some of the most prayerful people I know who are under the wrong teaching, they're the most wounded soldiers I've ever seen. Have you seen people who pray a lot, but they have many problems? I don't know, they've been around people. They call themselves prayer warriors. Somebody prays until they even lose their voice. They start talking to you like they've been praying for a whole week. The Lord told me, you see, God is taking you somewhere. Yeah. And they're 22, but they're talking like that. So, you're sure by 40 they won't have a voice. They'll be whispering on the altar, Jesus is Lord. <laughs> Are you following what I'm saying? Now, there's a, an individual who thinks, ah, this man is abusing prayer. No, I'm not abusing prayer. You just need to have fellowship with some of us who were introduced to prayer from a place of intimate relationship. Where you can spend two, three hours with God and you're not mentioning any demon. No, no demon is in conversation. You're simply connecting to who he is, to be one with the spirit. Oh my goodness. That thing shines the countenance of any man who knows how to pray that way. But do you know I've found people who somebody is from a week of prayer and they come back possessed. I've seen people, they look like they are demon possessed, but they have spent a whole week praying. Ah, apostle, what do you mean by that? Yes, because you can pray amiss. You can spend a whole week praying wrong. The least I care, you can even do 20 weeks on a mountain, but you, you're making the wrong prayer. Years ago, I told you of a person who was found at the prayer mountain speaking two things only. 
Now, let me translate it for my friends. They were simply saying, I'm not a chicken, I'm an ego. 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 I'm not any chicken, I'm an ego. I'm not a 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 chicken, I'm an Who told them they were a chicken? I'm not a hen, I'm an ego. Who told them they were a hen? How does somebody go on a prayer mountain with a wrong vision of who they are and they spend weeks convincing them of who they are supposed to be? Imagine you form me on a prayer mountain saying, I'm not white, I'm black. 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 I am black. I am black. I am black. I am black. Isn't there a problem? Now you can pray like that for 20 months. You have a problem already. Why don't you just say, I'm an ego? You can repeat that a hundred times, but I'm not a chicken. Years ago, I was banking and a man came to me. He had spent a week on prayer in a mountain. The guy came to me and told me, brother, I've spent a whole week on the mountain. And uh, every day I was dealing with demons. And I kid you not, I'm going to say it in Uganda and I'll translate it. He was saying, Now I'll translate that. Those of you are watching from across the world, he was saying that it was a whole week on the mountain, demons were beating him and he was beating them. They were beating him and he was beating them. He was on a whole week on the mountain being beaten by demons. So you can imagine two guys are holding a stick, okay? Him and the demon on the other side. So, a whole week. Indeed, he came back tired. Then he came to me and told me, but uh, I just came because uh, I'm hungry. I don't have money. Um, I need food and transport. This man has been at the mountain and he can't afford a meal. Not all prayer is spirit-led and not all prayer yields results. Somebody shout, Amen. Not all prayer yields results. Now, this man's dealing with ignorance. He's dealing with ignorance. And I know them like that. They spend weeks. We're dealing with a story a couple of years ago. Somebody's wife got on attack. And then this man goes on a prayer mountain for four weeks asking God what's wrong with his wife. And he says that God revealed to him that his wife is under attack because they gave somebody that a demonic agent gave her a bed. Now, there are people who can be strangled by demons because they're in a wrong bed. But there are people who also have known who they are. That even if they had their bed in hell, like the psalmist says, even there the Lord would be with them. Do you understand? As telling believers, we sit in cars of men who put witchcraft. But those things shall by no means harm you. People do witchcraft in their flights. And you sit in those aircrafts. Are you kept by the power of the witchcraft they put in other aircraft? No. You're kept by the power of God. 
Somebody shout hallelujah. So, yes, maybe there's a group of people, the Bible says, because of a defiled conscience, eat as unto the idol. And because their conscience is weak, they're defiled. You see, the weakness of the conscience can make the things which should not attack you to attack you. How can you live all your life praying against the witchcraft your auntie did 30 years ago? What is that that doesn't live? I just ask these people, how do you cast out devils for 20 years? 20 years, you're still chasing the same demon. 30 years, you're still breaking the demon off, not getting married. You're 60, you're still chasing. Since you were 25, you even fasted. If you're praying the same way and don't find results, chances are you're praying the wrong way. Am I helping somebody? Am I helping somebody? Yet there's a girl who they can't even wait for her to graduate to marry her. Uh, 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 uh. And you both believe the same God? No, 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 no. Somebody say far from me. Yes, yes, yes. So somebody spends four weeks to pray out something they could have actually spoken to instantly by understanding. Oh no, you don't understand demons. No, you don't understand God. I'll answer you. You don't understand God. The Bible says, greater is he which is in you than he which is in the world. And that is true even before you pray. If you're a believer, even before you pray, greater is he which is in you than he which is in the world. In the world. Are you following? So, that's why I said to you years ago, I'm not intimidated by men. Oh, this person prays a lot. No. Show me the fruit of their prayer. You bring a lame man and we both pray. They'll pray some, me I'll speak. You understand? I'm not intimidated by somebody because they are fasting for 100 days. And I mean I don't fast. Oh no, I fast longer than many of you, if not everyone here. But my point is, I'm not intimidated because you are fasting. I'm intimidated if you fast in truth. I'm convicted and provoked to admire if a man is really praying in truth. Because I know that's the way of results and answers. But some of us, even the way we pray is wrong. You're still pleading with God to do for you what he already gave you. The Bible says you've been given everything that pertains to life and godliness. Why are you still praying as though you've not been given? And yet some of us, when we get in the very presence, we just thank because we know we have been given. How can we have the same results? Now you continue begging all you want. You see, heaven deals with you as a child of God. And all things are given to you. So some of you pray with conflicting language against truth. Every day you're praying against truth. See, if you go now to the core of things, it's again because they've lived lives of being so simple and carnal. You just, you know, here Thursday service is enough. Sunday, you try to come, you don't, or you hear Sunday and Thursday, you say it's enough. You are okay being simple as long as you have food and a table, you drive a nice car, and you live in a good apartment, which you rent, by the way. Are you following what I'm saying? So he asks you, how long will you love being shallow? How long will you love being simple? How long will you just scratch surfaces of depths that have been availed to God by you? 
He tells them, 22, how long, you simple ones, would you love simplicity? And the scorners delight in their scorning and fools hate knowledge. Verses 23, listen. He says, stand you at my reproach and behold, I'll pour out my spirit. I'll introduce you to a certain level of anointing. Ah, yeah, 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 yeah. Who has understood what I just said? Turn and start to dig deep in me and I'll introduce you to a certain kind of anointing. I'll introduce you to a certain kind of glory. This one is not in the world of the elastic. This is in the world of purpose. This is in the world of mandate. This is in the world of assignment. You see, even the anointings under which we function carry degrees depending on the mandate on a man's life. Those mantles are heavy. You feel them. You carry it, but you feel it in your spirit. You feel its weight and the equal demand from everybody who is connected to that mantle. You feel the demand. You can sense it, even from afar. You know, one time I studied Jesus and I look at this man as a man who carried a mantle for the world. What that means to be the savior of the world, not his home community. Think about it. Not his home community, not his community church, not his workplace, which also is good. But I'm saying this man carried the burden of the world. That mantle was on man, one man once. That means every ounce of conviction that connected every human being to that mantle came with such a weight on his spirit. So when you see him in the garden of Gethsemane, Father, if it be willing, take this cup off me. He is not an indifferent man to the purposes and will of God, no. He's carrying this in a fallen body. He's carrying this in the arm of flesh, in the body of flesh. The Bible says he took on himself the one, the form of a servant in the likeness of man. It was easy for him to carry certain things, but to carry it in a fallen body, flesh and blood, which is corruptible, yet he must not know sin. And the time draws near and he sees just how much price is going to be paid. The Bible says, as the propitiation of our sins, not only for us, but for the world. Some of you, you're even stretched as an administrator in your local church of 20 members. You are dying already. You can't breathe. You're an administrator in a local church or fellowship of 20 members, a center. You, you're 20, but you're already overwhelmed. You want to quit. It's too much for you because you can't join it together with a job you have from 8 to 6. Or some of you don't even have a job, but you're overwhelmed. Are you following what I'm saying? I have people who are already overwhelmed. Somebody, they are 22, but they are tired of serving. They are 30, they are 40, but they're saying, ah, ah it's too much. Let me ask her why. Mm -mm. There's this girl I serve with. Oh, what a canality. How does Satan convince somebody to frustrate you from serving God and you take all that in? and say, I'm done. 
I'm done. And I've seen people who have left their estate. I've seen people who have put down plows in places heaven would not agree with. You see, when the Bible tells us, it says, no man having put down his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. This word kingdom here is called realm. There are things you will do and they will make you unfit for some realms in the spirit even though you desire them in prayer because some of those realms in prayer, those realms of the spirit or in the spirit require you to have certain plows in the hand. It's like even before Jesus died, a man would say, you shall serve the Lord your God, that's a plow, and he shall take sickness from the midst of thee. This was also of whether Christ had yet come to shed that blood God would extend his hand to heal a man because he serves God. Read it. He says, you shall serve the Lord your God and he shall bless thy bread and water and he will take sickness from the midst of thee. Verses 26. Uh -huh. And there shall nothing cast thy young ones nor be barren in thy land and the number of your days I'll fulfill. That a man can serve God and it doesn't matter whether they were born with sickle cells or by the time they started serving, they had some virus. God would say, because they serve me, I'm going to keep them. Are you following what I'm saying? I'm going to keep them. Why? Because they are on a plow. Some of you are alive because you're serving God. Some of you are alive because you're ushering every Thursday. Some of you are alive because you, you are in the testimonies team writing testimonies. And God knows if you stopped, what would you put on your life? You see what I'm saying? Because you are not vindicated by your plow, neither are you established in the promises. So how do you survive? How do you survive? You see? Because there's a man probably who's put down the plow, but at least they can claim some things by scripture because they're in the age of grace and preserve their lives or prolong it. I mean, if in Ecclesiastes, even the wicked man knows how to prolong his day. What about you who know God? You see what I'm saying? But there is something that plow comes with. Now, there are people I know who by far have disqualified themselves from the realms they should function in because they put down a plow where they were not supposed to put down. And why? Because they were offended by some man, some woman, some brother, some sister. And God says, yes, she offended you, he offended you, but it was not, it was not right for you to put down that plow because then it means I, God, am paying the price of the indifference of your sister or the indifference of that brother. It means you have not yet loved me enough to count all things but dung for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ. You've not yet learned to separate the lawful from the expedient, the precious from the vile. You've not yet understood to see the bigger picture always, even when Satan would draw you into the confusions of looking at those myopic little fights that happen among people. And some people are simply a disagreement away from purpose. They're just a small argument in the choir away from serving God in the choir. They're just a small offense away. Just two, three words spoken to them and they're going to quit the department God appointed them. But it was God which appointed them. And then those other things start falling out of, you know, line. And things stop reconciling with the tandem of the predicted growth that they ought to have by Christ and by what they know. And you start to look at them like the Bible says, and they are weighed in the balances. They are weighed in the balances. Certain things don't fit right. 
in consonance with where you expect them to be according to how long they've walked with God. There's already a conflict there that you carry no language to explain. And I see that all the time. That this person, with the time they have served God and the things they have done in God, they should not be dealing with such issues. This thing should have left long ago. But if you look back, they were consumed by offense and took on off or stripped themselves of the responsibility God had given them. Somebody said, God help us. Back to what I was saying. That when you turn, he said, I will put some sort of thing, anointing, glory on your life because you have, you know, separated or consecrated yourselves from those which simply pursue the simple things of God. You want to launch deeper in the things of God. Invest yourself to know God deeply. Study the word like you're not just looking for a job. Don't study the word like you're looking for just marriage. Don't study the word because you, you need that contract to break. Study the word for yourself because you want to launch to God's best as touching the glory and anointing that pursues his chosen. In fact, in this life I have met men who have dug long enough to translate from the called to the chosen. Some are chosen at birth, but some are chosen because they are veiled. They availed themselves when God needed. So when the Bible says that I sought for a man who should stand in the gap, why didn't he just look for one man and tell them, I chose you for that gap? By the time God seeks for a man to cover a gap so he would make up a hedge for the land, it means that the man which had chosen rebelled or refused to be available. Because God is like that. You see, remember when the apostles took the gospel to the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the Essenes? When they preached to them and they refused the gospel, he said, seeing that you do not count yourselves worthy of eternal life, he says, Lord, we turn to the Gentiles. They go in a city and preach the gospel. You reject it. They dust their feet and go to the next city to preach the very thing that you rejected, to give life to men of the very thing God had chosen you before. I've seen God reassign people in this one life. And from the apostolic office, there's nothing as painful to reassign you. And because you're simple, you don't know how weighty that is. You just see stalemates in your life. You just see certain things stuck, not moving, not advancing. Yeah, the gifts don't leave. Those are without repentance. But the assignments, brother, they leave. Because they are tagged to divine purpose. They're not tagged to your convenience. They're not tagged to your timing. They're tagged with God's timing. If you refuse to move, when God is ready to move, you'll look for a man who will move. I know people who can even discern, I was supposed to be here by this time. They know it in their spirit because God has innately created that conscience. It's like a red light blipping in your heart telling you this is not where you are supposed to be. And it keeps on poo, 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 poo. They call it frustrated potential. Inside your heart you feel a potential of things the world you're in cannot advantage you to function, apply, or access. You feel you can, but the things around you cannot advantage you. No doubt the skill is there. No doubt the training is there. The potential is there. It's there. You feel it that you can do it. But every time that opportunity comes, you see it fall on another man. You're praying for a certain door and you see a less accessing it. 
Then tomorrow he's telling me, fast father. You fast and pray and sow seeds. And again, you get onto that gate or that well. You're almost falling into the well. And then you find even an inferior one has fallen in. A least deserving one has accessed it. That imbalance happens every day in the world. That's what the Bible calls princes walking on feet and servants walking on horses. It's an evil on the earth. When he returned under the sun, he saw servants upon horses and princes walking as servants upon the earth. The grace of royalty is on you. The anointing of royalty is on you. But by principle and pattern, you never built that life to align yourself to the deeper things, to access the comfort or conveniences that came with the potential God had placed on your life. You go for a job interview and a less man is given that job. You have credentials, they even tell you you won everyone, but unfortunately we're not going to give you that job. Oh, sorry brother, you are overqualified. How can a man be overqualified? By the time you packed your bags and went into that interview because you needed that job, how can they tell you you're overqualified for this? Yet even your qualifications cannot call you. They don't invite you. You're living in that confusion every day. Then you start blaming everyone. Oh, this person did this to me. This person did that to me. Ah, this is the only reason why I'm going through this conundrum. It cannot happen. These people are doing this. Oh, this is happening to this. When I was going here, my uncle did this to me. My auntie did this to me. You're blaming everyone instead of taking that responsibility. That at one particular point, it will have to be what you know to do to break through certain things, to enter certain places, to access certain realms. Some of you are not fit for the realms you're fasting for because you've not exercised yourself in the discipline to endure the pressure those realms come with. They would kill you if you entered. It's for your advantage that God keeps you in a certain pay grade because if you have more money than that, oh, 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 already where you are, the ushers are fighting with you. The ushers are struggling with you. Imagine when you buy a gun and you have a say with the powers that are, what will you do to people? These are things you must think through because by reality, I have seen many people are stuck because of these very things I'm trying to tell us. This spirit is saying to pour on you is a certain grace to function effectually in unusual, unpredictable graces. In those realms that you don't see with men, common men, and they exist. See, the Bible speaks of uh, the apostle. The Bible says the Lord routes special miracles. Let's talk about special miracles. Oh yeah, yeah, they're miracles. But the God routes special miracles by the hands of Paul. So that, the Bible says, from his body were brought unto the sick handkerchiefs or aprons and the diseases departed from them and the evil spirits went out of them. There was a special thing on Paul. There was a special thing on Paul that in the time where you have to pray for people who are possessed by devils, Paul just needed to give you a hanky. And if that hanky touched a man possessed, those demons would leave. When I was, I just graduated, I remember, um, I was studying topic called the believer's authority. Huh? I think I have a someone called the authority of the believer. It's like that. But if I could write a book, I'd probably have about maybe 20 chapters of that. I was studying 
what the authority given to us by believers. And so I started to study. I went deep and you know started studying things and studying things deliberately. Just studied things and now I, I was just you know I felt like this is something we need because if you've noticed the miraculous is dying out in the world. If you go in places like uh, you know Europe or where the miraculous is dying out. The miraculous is dying out. And I mean these simple things of the blind, deaf, clutches, tumors, it's dying out. Back in the day in the healing revival days of the 30s or the word of faith movements in the 50s or 60s, oh my god. These guys were doing things. Kenneth Hagin speaks of a man who used to just spit on people. One time he spat on a man and his limb grew. You know, this guy his arm had been amputated. I think was he a war veteran or something. So a guy comes and spits on him. And as it rubs his sputum on the man's hand, the limb grew. The hand grew out. You see, and if that power is not seen, people will doubt that God because there's a person here saying, "Ah yeah yeah yeah, apostle, you're driving us. <laughs> you're driving us." No. No, no, no. I'm not driving you. Actually, you're not in the car. You're not in the car. You're outside thinking I'm driving you. Are you following what I'm saying? Masharakosi bradega shokararakose. So I'm studying this thing. And then I visit a friend. We had a sleepover at his house and we were praying. And the next day I had clothes to iron and then they get my shirt to the sister in the house to iron and the moment she touched my shirt the power of god hit her and demons started manifesting through her saying we do not iron the shirts of such men these are demons screaming out of a girl and she's manifesting she's fighting on the ground why because she touched my shirt they gave up my shirt to iron let me tell you god has given us power God has given us power. God has given us power. But you see that is not something that was transferred. That is something that came through study. The certain anointings that will not be transferred. The certain anointings that will come through study. No wonder Paul had such a grace. Because if you now equate it to the measure of how much was revealed to this man, literally God had to send a messenger from hell to buffet him. The Bible says to keep him from getting puffed up because of the abundance of revelation. It's a hard thing to tame when the realm of revelation is open to you. You need a certain discipline in life. That discipline does not come. God might allow certain things to keep you to remind you that the treasure is in earthen vessels and i have seen men who carry those weaknesses and they are judged indifferently by men you see who have not even stepped 2 degrees to where these men have moved in millions and millions of degrees because they don't yet understand that some of the tests that come don't necessarily come to men and women of God because they don't know God some of them it's because of how much they know 
So what happened to Paul? He says, least I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of revelations. There was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, least I should be exalted above measure. So there is something in Paul that refused to humble him when he started to access certain revelations. And God had to bring something for his good. Three times he prays it out. God says, no, my grace is sufficient for you. You'll keep this. I need to keep you human. Well, if Paul had the wisdom to stay humble, he would not have attracted that uh, messenger to Buffett. But also, you cannot judge Paul because you don't know how much was given to him. You don't even yet understand Paul's letters. Just letters. What about his teaching? If the book of Romans, some of you are here, you've never even studied one chapter of Romans, and you're judging Paul. You're saying, oh, Elijah is being chased by Jezebel. Jezebel is on Elijah. (laughs) Because you're among the 7,000 who are hidden. Don't you see something wrong there? There's a functional prophet being chased after by Jezebel because he's functional. You're hidden 7,000 because you don't carry the mantle of your nation. Listen, Elijah was the horseman and chariot of Israel. Don't get this wrong. He was the horseman and chariot of Israel. Meaning, he was the army of Israel. One prophet. You didn't need an army when you had Elijah in the country. He can smite them blind, all of them. He can make one prayer and a million armies fall in just a second. That's just how much anointing was on this man. You didn't need any protection when you had Elijah. Now, Jezebel is pursuing him. And then you see people judging. If he's a prophet, why is Jezebel pursuing him? Why is Jezebel pursuing him? At least they're pursuing him. For if you become visible, they kill you. For you, Jezebel died to even chase you. No, she just kills you. That's why you're hidden. Tell your neighbor, either be hidden or be mantled. (laughs) Praise the Lord Jesus. There's an anointing that comes with the depths. Indeed, deep call it unto deep. Ezekiel verses 31. They talk of the glories that were on Egypt. The Bible says the waters made him great. Listen, the deep set him up on high with her rivers. The deep set him up on high with her rivers. In fact, there's a portion of scripture somewhere uh, which says, I read it sometime, which says that when the deeps dry, the rivers dry. When the deeps dry, the rivers dry. Now with this fellow, the Bible says the waters made him great. You see? What waters? He learned to launch deep. He launched to launch deep. The Bible says that the waters made him great. The deep set him up on high with her rivers running about his plants and sent out her little rivers unto all the trees of the field. Therefore, his height or influence was exalted above all the trees of the field. That means his influence was exalted above the influences of all other men. He stood or she stood higher than any man could influence. And the Bible says, and his bowels were multiplied. So the spirit of multiplication was with him. And his branches became long because of the multitude of waters when he shot forth. All the fowls of heaven made their nest in his bowels, and under his branches did all the beasts of the field bring forth their young, and under his shadow dwelt all great nations. Under his shadow dwelt all great nations. Even the great submitted to him. Even those you call wise submitted to him. 
Even those you call opulent, submitted to him. Even those you called affluent, submitted to him. Those you called powerful, he was more powerful. They all sat under his shadow. He was their cover. Because he knew how to go places certain men are not able to go. He knew how to dig in places certain people cannot dig. He knew how to break forth furrow grounds and access things some people are not. Listen, there are people right now in this season, especially in what God is doing. They are reading, they are praying, they are studying, they are writing notes, they are connecting to things. Some of you just simply come and think, you, you, you study, you hear and then go back. But there are people who just don't study and hear. No, they are as the barbarians. They go back. They are fairer. They are more noble than those in Thessalonica. Not barbarians. They are more noble than those in Thessalonica. For the Bible says in that they receive the word with all readiness of mind and search the scriptures daily whether those things are so. They are seeking the affirmation of the things that they have learned. The confirmation of the experiences that they've received such that they don't miss any T crossed or any dot, any I dotted. They are seeking. They are searching. And to anybody who is under that order. You might not have the language yet, but something is building on your life and eventually the world will see it. Refuse to die a predictable Christian. Refuse to die in predictable realms. Refuse to function in predictable places. Refuse. Just ask God to elevate you somehow. And he has told us the secret. Thank God we have the person of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians, if you read the Amplified Version, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 9, it is written, eye has not what? Seen. No ear has what? And has not entered into the heart of what? Man. All the things that God has what? Prepared and made and keeps ready for those who love him. The things God has prepared for you. And not only prepared for you, he keeps them ready. They are not rotten. They're still waiting. Okay? You have delayed 10 years, but it is still waiting for you. He keeps them ready for those who love him, who hold him in affectionate reverence, promptly obeying him and gratefully recognizing the benefits he has bestowed. Next line. Yet to us, God has unveiled and revealed them by and through the Spirit. For the Holy Spirit searches diligently, exploring and examining everything, even sounding the profound and bottomless things, the deep things. One version calls them the deep things of God, the divine counsels and the things hidden and beyond man's scrutiny. That the Holy Spirit in you can show you things men cannot scrutinize. He can reveal to you things men cannot examine. He can reveal things to you men cannot prove. They are deep, they are bottomless. It means as deep as you're ready to go, is available to launch you. That lake that was for the disciples had a certain depth. It could get to and now you'd know you're at the bottom of that sea. But these things that I'm talking about are bottomless. That means for as long as you are searching out, as long as you are veiling yourself, as long as you continue breaking grounds, as long as you are launching deeper, as long as you continue applying yourself to dig, you'll always find something that men cannot access. It's available. It's available. But then you choose simplicity. You choose to stay predictable. You choose to live ordinary. You choose to study the word like, you know, live for something bigger. 
Come on, live for something bigger. Live for something bigger than being just a good wife. Live for something bigger than just being a good daughter. Live for something bigger than being just a good company secretary. Live for something better than just having a first class degree in your economics. Live for something better than just being a politician. Live for something better than just being a good father, a good mother, you know, a good sister. Live for something better than just being a good citizen in Uganda. Live for something better than just being a prefect in your school. A head boy, a head guy. A, a sanitary prefect. No, live for something bigger than just being the leader of the choir in Fanero. Live for something bigger than just being on the security team and protocol. Live for something bigger than just being a good worshiper. Live for something bigger than just being a businesswoman in Chikubo. Live for something bigger. Because even that which you are aspiring to do, even those who don't know God, in some of these aspects they can do. Muslims in Saudi Arabia can do better than you. So do something. May God do something. May God do something that is beyond human scrutiny. Launch out into the deep. When you launch into the deep, the most notable sign, your boat will sink. Your boat will sink. And it will sink because of the abundance only God can give. But if you're telling this to a man who is a lasting, he's going to start to pursue out of lust. Yet I'm not inviting you through lust. I'm inviting you through the responsibility that is tugged to divine purpose. I want to pray with some of you today. Speak to God in your own words. Tell him God launch me deeper. Tell him launch me deeper. Tell him launch me deeper. Take a few minutes and talk to God. The secret the quiet mm -hmm. the stillness you were. The secret, the quiet hour away, only for you. Cause I wanna know. I want to know you When I hear your voice I want to know you I want to touch you, yeah When I see your I want to know you in the secret. Talk to God. Stillness, you are there. In the secret. In the secret. Oh. 
speak an impartation on you right now the spirit of the Lord is putting a very very distinct distinct impartation on somebody on this ground this evening and that grace is inviting you in very uncommon places in the spirit heavenly father by your spirit I pray that may you confirm this word right now in the name of Jesus. Power of the Holy Ghost. May you see things unusual. May you connect to realms unpredictable. God is launching somebody so deep there's somebody on this ground God is taking you so deep from today the revelation of God going to function on your life is going to be unexplained. The ministration of God on your spirit is going to be unexplained. Spirit of the Lord, separate that person. Separate that woman. My God, my God, my God, my God. My God. I am praying for the apostles that are on this ground. You might not even know that you are called in the apostolic office. Spirit of the Sovereign Lord, touch the prophets that are here. It's heavy. There it goes. 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 There it
Holy Ghost. <laughs> the worshipers that are here, may God worship beyond sound. May the power of God be demonstrated on your lives. May you worship God in places like you have never dreamed or imagined. And as you're worshiping, may heaven open in the name of Jesus Christ. May people see a God out of you like they have not seen on a microphone through a worshiper before. Some of you, you're working in different parts and places. May God put something so special on your life in your workplace, whether you're a doctor or an engineer or a businessman. May God put something so unique on you that can only ooze and reveal him. I see nations open up to some people for a greater ministry. I mean, imagine God says, great nations shall be under his shadow. Some of you, God is entrusting you beyond the community you were raised, beyond the tribe that you come from, beyond the color of your skin. God is literally entrusting you with great nations and you're going to mother them. Receive it. You're going to father them. Receive it. That's what separates the prophet in a nation and the prophet of a nation. I see prophets of nations here. That's what separates the apostles in nations and the apostles of nations. I see apostles of nations here. Teachers of nations here. Pastors of nations here. Mothers of nations here. Fathers of nations here. Intercessors of nations here. Evangelists of nations to the world. God has given you a burden to the world and for the world. A burden for all nations. A burden for all nations. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Give the Lord a manageable praise. Come on, let's clap for Jesus. Clap for Jesus like you've received something. Clap for Jesus like you've received something. Your life is not going to remain the same again. Thank you, Lord Jesus. If you're sick in your body, receive your healing now. If you're sick, you came with a sickness. Lung issues are healed. God is healing you now in the name of Jesus. Breast cancer. Somebody is dealing with breast cancer. God is healing you now in the name of Jesus. God is healing your marriage. I'm praying for that woman whose children have rejected your God. May today be the changing moment, the moment of turning around in the name of Jesus. Come on, let's clap for Jesus. Let me do one more thing before we close. If you're here and you've never given your life to Jesus, I want to give you the opportunity to come right now and I pray with you and you receive that man as your Lord and Savior. Above all, he died for your sins that you might have eternal life. And one day when you leave this world, you're guaranteed where you go. But while you're still on the earth, that he will use you. So if you're there and you say, I want to receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior, repeat this after me. Say, Lord Jesus, I thank you because you shed your blood for my sins. 
and you were raised for my glory. Today, I receive you as my personal Lord and Savior. I'm born again. Amen. This sermon has been brought to you by Fenero Ministries International. For more information, contact us on telephone number plus 256-200-999400 or email us at info at You can also find us on the web at www.fenero.org. Follow us on our social media platforms on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Subscribe to our YouTube channel at Fenero Ministries International. Or better still, feel free to join us every Thursday for our weekly fellowships at the Uma Upper Gardens from 5 p.m. to 9 p.m. and for our Sunday services at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. at the Uma Multipurpose Hall. Fenero, make manifest.